Hello, my name is Christina, and thank you for checking in to the Home for Rabbit OCs. This is a podcast where our guest and I talk about our original characters, the good, the bad, and the self-inserts. Guests, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, hey there. Um, my name is Daniel Kwan. I'm a game designer, cultural consultant, and podcaster. Excellent. And who are we going to be talking about today, Daniel? So I would love to talk about um, the NPCs I wrote for Wizards of the Coast's uh, Candlekeep Mysteries, uh, specifically the Order of the Immortal Lotus uh, characters from the Book of Inner Alchemy adventure. Okay. Okay. So the I feel like the first thing that we should address is um, what system did you create them for since they're tabletop characters, I'm assuming. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So this is for 5th edition D&D. Okay, okay. And uh, is Candlekeep Mysteries the name of the story, or is it the setting? Uh, Candlekeep Mysteries is the name of the adventure anthology that Wizards of the Coast published. Okay, um, And okay. the Book of Inner Alchemy is the adventure within it. Okay. That sounds super neat. Would Before we get into the NPCs themselves, would you like mm-hmm. to talk a little bit about the setting? Kind of what environment we're going to be going into? Yeah, absolutely. So... With Candlekeep Mysteries, wizards um, basically approached all of the, us freelancers um, and their internal staff and basically uh, asked that we draft adventures that started in a sort of uh, central location. Um, mm-hmm. And that central location was Candlekeep. Um, Candlekeep is this um, sort of library fortress um, okay. on the Sword Coast in Faerun. And it basically okay. is a, it's a collection of all of um, these like books of lore and scrolls uh, and it's okay. home to these like uh, scholars and librarians that protect it so all of the adventures in that story basically had to start at the library and could go anywhere from there mm-hmm. um, mine um, did not stray too far <laughs> it actually just uh, yeah um, my adventure basically stayed within the sword coast um, mm-hmm. and took place in a nearby forest where a D&D monk order called the Immortal Lotus had stolen um, this book called the Book of Inner Alchemy. Um, okay. They were, uh, had actually stolen pages from it. And these pages were being used with the intent to craft these sort of um, dangerous magical items. Interesting. Like, this is going to sound weird, but I'm getting kind of like mist vibes. Ah, <laughs> uh, like, like the... Um... Like, <laughs> like the computer game. Oh, like the computer game. Yeah, ca- kind of. Um, I was kind of going for... Uh, yeah. I was kind of going for like a 70s and 80s sort of kung fu cinema um, sort of vibe. So Yes, um, I want to hear the, about that. <laughs> yeah. So, so the, one of the main characters who had kind of... Um, uh, or the NPCs who had stolen this or initiated this daring raid on Candlekeep Mysteries was Bach May. Um, and Bachme is, is, is based on mm-hmm. a, a sort of a historical figure. Um, Bachme um, was like a, an exalted master of um, and one of the like five great elders of Shaolin. Okay. Um, okay. Who's, who's kind of, depending on, on where you look, kind of um, portrayed as like a villain or a hero. Um, mm, okay. Um, and many, many kind of say that, you know, he's this. Uh, uh, he betrayed the Shaolin to the to the to the the Qing, um, the government, and all of that, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and so I I kind of decided that I wanted to make him this sort of 
um, pseudo villain. Um, there okay. was this book, like I mentioned, the Book of Inner Alchemy, which basically outlines mm-hmm. like secrets of like the monk martial arts from the the regions east of uh, sort of like the Sword Coast. Um, like okay, Shalom. okay, uh, okay. And the idea w- there was that I wanted to touch on themes of sort of like the Western stealing of sort mm-hmm. of Asian knowledge um, mm-hmm. and have a character who is portrayed <laughs> as a villain by the people who hire the adventurers, um, mm-hmm. but may not necessarily be um, villainous with his intentions. Um, and I kind of left that up yeah. to the GM. But the idea there was basically to create a character who had nuance, to create a villain who could potentially actually end up being a mentor for the uh, for the players. That is, I that is a that is a very good, that is a very good type of character. And <laughs> thank you. I I, I want to go play this now just so that I can befriend him. <laughs> Yeah, you know what? Like the 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 item that he's trying to craft, they're 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 dangerous. They like they they're the gloves of soul catching. Um, Ooh! But uh, I kind of intended on creating this character where the the GM may sort of self insert a revenge story for him being cast out mm-hmm. of an order and um, and things like that. And that's what mm-hmm. I've kind of done with my home game where I had that character in the first place. Okay. Okay. And um, so I'm 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 taking notes so that I can keep track of the of the characters that you've brought today, Daniel. So we have we have the Immortal Lotus, and we have Bachmay. Uh, Bachmay, okay. Yeah. Um, and then I think you said there was a third character. There were there were two others. Um, okay. Jade Tigress and Steel Crane, and they are both like Bachmay's like right and left hand. Okay. Um, hmm. And they were like uh, people who were devoted to Bachme, um and devoted to his cause. Okay, that's cool. I guess the question that I have next is: I would love to hear about how you how you came up with these characters because I think you said that this started in a home game. Yeah, kind of. Um, I had them in a home game, and and Bachme, um you see him sometimes called like Pai May. I don't know if you've ever seen Kill Bill. Have you seen Kill Bill? I actually have not. Um, Never mind. That's okay. <laughs> I know some of it, but not a lot of it. <laughs> so, so Bachme is often is is often a character that you see in like Hong Kong like action cinema. Mm-hmm. Um, in a, obviously a, like a fictionalized version. Um, there are movies like uh, Clan of the White Lotus was a really mm-hmm. big one. Um, or for me, uh, a really influential one was you know execu- executioners from Shaolin. Um, This was like a Shaw Brothers film from the late 70s. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's a sort of like a revenge story about this sort of villainous sort of kung fu master. Um, Okay. And this uh, protagonist who wants to basically um, take revenge Mm -hmm. um, and defeat sort of Pai Mei or Bak Mei, same character. Um, So I was Mm -hmm. really inspired by sort of um, these movies and uh, I, I had long like incorporated Asian characters into my um, yeah my games um, but you don't see a lot of them in like official Dungeons and Dragons canon or official Dungeons and Dragons products um, mm-hmm. and so I wanted to not only put um, like test out and make these sort of nuanced characters but eventually yeah. when I got the the call from Wizards of the Coast put them into uh, an official story so that you know they could live on forever. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah, that that is so cool. Yeah, it's it's something I'm super proud of. Um, I uh, my my home game where we're currently. I think we're this tomorrow, I, I guess as of today's recording, I don't know when mm-hmm. the episode comes out, but tomorrow we've got our 13th session and it's kind of Ooh. leading up to uh, an eventual encounter with Bach May. Ah, okay. Okay. <laughs> maybe we should put a, maybe we should put a disclaimer at the start of the episode telling, <laughs> telling your players not to listen. Yeah. My, if my players are, if my players are here, they should 100% not listen to any of those <laughs> until after. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh gosh, I I just I I just want to I want I want to hear more. Yeah, what do you want to so, What do you so want to cool. know? Um, I guess kind of um, what is what are kind of like their as much as you want to get into without like spoiling stuff. Like yeah. what are <laughs> what are kind of like their backstories? I know you said that you left some of it open ended for for uh, GMs to be able to tailor to fit the games that they're running, but I would love to hear more about how you kind of like developed uh, these four characters. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the, the background here was that, you know, I wanted, there were a couple of things um, in Dungeons and Dragons. The concept of key is used for monks, but it's based on Chinese chi, mm-hmm, um, which is mm-hmm. a very sort of um, uh, esoteric medical sort of uh, concept. Mm-hmm. Um and not so much magical. So yeah, yeah. one of my, one of my goals was to basically use this opportunity to say that hey, chi is something that's in everyone, and it's used for medical, like sort of um, mm-hmm. purposes as well, rather than just combat and fighting things. So mm-hmm. the idea here mm-hmm. is that um, Bach May was a practitioner of the open hand tradition in okay. the D and D world, yeah. who basically left an order he was with to. Um, start his own sort of school, the Inner Alchemy School, um, and mm-hmm. he is looking to achieve immortality. Um, okay. Now, it, it's implied in the adventure that he wants to achieve immortality because, A, he's, he's old, he's a human, so he's mortal, um, but, B, you know okay, that he's got okay. an agenda. He wants to seek revenge on these people who, you know, and this is where it's kind of up to the GM. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, he, he wants to get revenge on those who kind of mm-hmm. wronged him. Um, and he wants to, but his time is running out. And yeah. before he can kind of kind of muster the strength of his growing order, he needs to be there to train everyone. He needs to be there to influence uh, everyone on mm-hmm. this sort of shared journey of revenge. And so in order yeah. to do that, he needs to live longer. And that's kind of what he was doing with these. Um, and, and that's kind of what I um, wanted to do with it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, a, a GM could basically take this adventure and say, hey, he's just here because they have stolen a whole bunch of knowledge from his land. And mm-hmm. they could paint him as they could take out the adventure, the revenge side completely and basically mm-hmm. make it as though he's using this monk order to basically recover all of this knowledge um, mm-hmm. In a covert way, without maybe causing any sort of political sort of scandal or unrest. Mm-hmm. I I came up with an adjective like that. I think I've been that I've been thinking this whole time, and I lo- I really appreciate how decolonializing. Yeah. This is how it's how it's like 
yeah, hey, this uh, this library that everyone that everyone uses and values has a lot of stuff that they've stolen from people. Yeah, and that's that's exactly what I was kind of going for. I, I wanted to basically say, you know what? Look, like libraries are really great, and uh, um, I, I have a, my academic background is in archaeology, so the process oh, okay. of um, sort of creating knowledge um, mm-hmm. can, in a way, be very you know insular. Um, okay. Who are we creating this knowledge for? Who are we storing this knowledge for? In order mm-hmm. to even get mm-hmm. into Candlekeep in in sort of, you know, D&D's lore, um, it's actually a very, like, sort of difficult feat um, to get into, um, to be admitted into there. Because in order ah, to get okay. into Candlekeep, you actually need to present, um, like, a, basically, like, an entrance gift, something of value. So this could be, like, oh, books okay. worth a lot of... Uh, Books worth a lot of money, something that has never been stored in the library before, or perhaps like okay. a, like um like a seal or a letter from a renowned scholar or something like that. Um, so Candlekeep okay. is very much like your classic university library, where you have to be a student or you have to mm-hmm. be um, affiliated with the institution in order to even access that knowledge, um, and it kind of questions who benefits from the knowledge contained within the walls of this fortress. Um, And so I wanted these characters to kind of, um, I wanted to use these characters in this adventure to uh, kind of challenge the Mm -hmm. sanctity of the library within the D&D setting. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And this is going to be a slight tangent, but I'm curious, uh, what, what is your focus in archaeology? So um, I, in my undergraduate, I worked in the uh, Transjordan area, um, specifically in like Jordan itself, studying like the Iron Age okay, and the okay. rise of urbanization. Okay. Uh, for my master's work, I worked in sort of um, uh, the uh, prehistoric Japan in northern Japan. Oh, um, wow. Hokkaido. And then during my doctoral work. Um, which I ended up dropping out to kind of get a real like a real career. Um, understandable, understandable. Uh, after like five years, but I, I finished my dissertation and I studied um, early Holocene China, specifically like the rise of rice agriculture and early ceramic technology. Okay. Basically, uh, my research was why Chinese people started eating rice and why rice became a domesticate, became a domesticated crop in East Asia to begin with, and how people cooked. So ancient cooking. That is so cool. My my cousin uh, my cousin got her undergrad and is probably going to be going to do her master's in anthropology. Nice. And I just just the, the the history of the past and how we understand it is so cool. Yeah, and you know what? It's it's how we understand the past is really neat, and I think it's important mm-hmm. to study the past. Um, but at the same time, it's really also important to understand how we are gaining that knowledge, who is benefiting from that knowledge, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. who has access to that knowledge. Yeah, and it sounds like that has really been an influence in the characters and stuff that you created uh, with the Candlekeep Mysteries. Yes, for sure. And I wanted, you know, I wanted to create something cool and action-packed, and, Mm -hmm. you know, I also wanted to create a, uh, you know, like a character that um or chinese characters that kind of lived in official dungeons and dragons sort of canon 
Yeah, because <laughs> I um, because it's not done very well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it's not done very well. Um, so I, I wanted to make sure we could really um, really fix that. <laughs> yes. And uh, thank you. Yeah. So I'm super super proud of that. <laughs> yeah. So um, this is going to be a kind of probably jumping around question, but what are some of your favorite like plot points and aspects of the characters that you've created? Like, is there a, is like there a, a fight or something or like a character quirk that you were really proud of or just really liked creating? Oh yeah. I, I mean like without like spoiling everything, like I wrote a lot of dialogue for the adventure. Okay. Um, okay. To kind of, uh, sort of uh, harken back to the, um, the the sort of the dialogue you, that you'll see in these like old kung fu movies that I often Ooh, would yes. like watch with my dad, and you know when when I was writing the these uh, this dialogue for like for wizards, um, mm-hmm. I would like sit in front of my the bathroom mirror and I would talk like I would say the dialogue to my mirror <laughs> to kind of see if like oh does yeah. this sound cool. Um, uh, mm-hmm. And um, so I really love that. But I, in terms of like set pieces and moments, um, a big one for me was there is this uh, stele forest. So it's like this um, forest made of these stone sort of columns. Um, okay. Like, these, like sort of thin rectangular stone <laughs> columns that are almost like uh, memorial sort of statues. And okay. there's this big fight where the, the encounter where like the adventurers kind of walk in and then they hear a voice. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. <laughs> and this, this voice is like, well, like, you know, it's kind of saying, how dare you come here? If you're going to fight my master, you have to deal with me. And there's all these sort of martial artists who have their, like, legs kind of split between the two, between, like, two <laughs> things. And it's very acrobatic. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. So I tried to create characters that kind of embodied um, different aspects of Chinese cinema. So the character that they fight there is Steel Crane with all of these disciples mm-hmm. and Steel Crane is like very agile. Um, yeah. And then later on they fight another character um, named Jade Tigress. And uh-huh. I really like uh-huh. her because um, yeah. in a lot of, you, when you see a lot of Asian characters, like particularly women, they're often seen as this, like they often embody this uh, sort of like a, uh, dragon lady stereotype where there's just this like oh femme fatale mm-hmm. and they're meant to be there for the the gaze of the the sort of the male characters uh-huh. and uh-huh. um and they're never seen as like strong and anything like that um, yeah or they're seen as deceptive so with jade mm-hmm. tigress i wanted to make her like this really strong character who would stand there and fight and take damage um, and just be awesome. So um, yeah. for her, I was really inspired by um, the character um, Toph in, from Avatar yes. The Last Airbender. Um, because Toph is just, is first of all, just badass. Yes, um, yes, absolutely. <laughs> and I wanted to ensure that, the, you know, that this character kind of had that. Toph was, you know, she uh, was like, she wanted to be independent. She was strong and she really wanted to undermine what her parents thought of her mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. and so i uh i really leaned in on that um with with jade tigress um and so i had yeah. all these different characters that 
try to undermine sort of different stereotypes that you see of Chinese people and Asian people in sort of Western media. So um, Steel Crane was, um, you you get the sort of uh, stereotype of the uh, like emasculated, like Chinese man in a lot of media. Um, Mm -hmm. But I wanted Steel Crane to be proud. I wanted him to be nimble, but I also wanted him to be powerful. Um, And so he was all, he was very technical. Um, Whereas, um, you know, Jade Tigress, I wanted her Uh to be strong. I wanted her to be confident. And then Bach Bay, who is like the classic villain, I wanted him to obviously be scary and imposing and, and like almost sinister. But at the same time, I wanted his backstory to have nuance. I wanted people to think, question whether or not Mm -hmm. they were actually the villains. Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, and yeah, that's what I kind of did with those three characters. Um, And it it was like like a year's worth of work, but it was great, and and I think it paid off. Yeah, I'm I'm very glad to hear that. (laughs) Um, I would like to hear more about kind of like the. I guess the order that uh, that Bachme created and leads or led, depending on, I guess how far people are in the adventure. Um, yeah. Like how do they how do they operate? Like would they theoretically spread spread to other areas of Faerun? Yeah, that I I, I certainly had the intention of that. I, I wanted to mm-hmm. kind of I wrote them as like a small sort of um, fledgling order. Mm-hmm. Um, that, you know, we're, we're kind of, they've been operating in the shadows. They had been stealing lore, um, to try to build themselves up. But yeah, I eventually, I would love to do a follow-up where, you know, they're, they've grown incredibly strong and they are now basically, um, seeking to maybe overthrow governments or overthrow other orders, like other monk orders, um, or maybe their influence spreads beyond the martial arts community, yeah. Um, but for this adventure, they're like a small order and they have a single temple, which is where most of the adventure takes place. Mm-hmm. Um, and the temple is, <clears throat> excuse me, and the temple is located in the Cloakwood, which is like um, a uh, a forest north of Candlekeep. Um, okay. They have this okay. temple complex with like a train, a residence, a training area, um, an area for lore, but also Bakme's inner sanctum, which is like uh, literally yeah. a rock formation that is uh that looks like the like a lotus flower but made of stone almost like natural but it's implied that maybe he shaped it with his bare hands he's that strong ooh that's cool yeah i uh i uh i i really thought i put a lot of thought into that and i was like yeah you know what like wouldn't it be cool if like they could do these mm-hmm. things um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it uh it, it it turned out really neat um pretty pretty proud of it yeah. Since you mentioned that there is kind of like a potential future where uh, where the order has grown in prominence, and in since in D anD D, the character class of monk has like the paths and stuff that they follow. Mm-hmm. Would they would they end up in the future at some point? Like, would they want to create their own monastic path? I would honestly love that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I would honestly love that. I, 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 on independent of my work with with Wizards of the Coast, I, I um, am currently writing um, 
sort of like a supplemental system for fifth edition D and D on mm-hmm. martial arts techniques and new orders. Um, Ooh, okay. And with the intention of this being like a, a like a backstory for um, the events of the in- Book of Inner Alchemy adventure. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, I've got you know this like virtuous confederacy of martial arts um, with like different schools, like the Radiant Ink School, the Mountain Orchid School, and things like that. Um, yeah. And currently drafting like a, like a class to go alongside that to. Um, fit more within the themes of, you know, uh, classical Chinese literature. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, the the it would be neat to have that be an entire path. Um, mm-hmm. But I think for that to happen, I think what I would love to see more is an actual setting for these to exist in. Yeah, that's true. Um I guess getting a little bit outside of the D and D like mm-hmm. sandbox, have like how have how has stuff that you've seen in other tabletop systems kind of influenced the adventure of the Book of Inner Alchemy, or even like your GMing like outside of the writing? Oh yeah, I, I mean, in terms of other systems, not, nothing honestly comes to mind right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but a big one for me is education. So like, yeah, um, like I've I've published indie games. I I. I have a massive nice. collection of indie RPGs, which I really love. Yeah. Um, I, I pub- the, my first game I ever published was um, a game called Ross Rifles, which was a uh, Powered by the Apocalypse game about the Canadian mm-hmm. Expeditionary Force in World War I. Oh, okay. Um, for, for me, I, I think um, education is a, a core part of what I like to do with my games, mm-hmm. whether it be about my own culture, whether it be about, you know, like learning about the First World War, the experiences of... Um, people of color during the first world war mm-hmm. um so so for me a big influence was you know my academic career but also yeah. um I, I used to be a teacher at the royal ontario museum here in toronto oh, wow uh, using role-playing games as a teaching tool Ooh. Um, and so that in and of itself was probably the most influential um thing to yeah. me with, yeah. the, with the goal of you know saying like hey i don't want this to just be cool I want this to be cohesive, but also respectful to what I'm actually trying to teach uh, mm-hmm. the players. Mm-hmm. I, I, that's something that hadn't occurred to me, but I feel like that's an underused application of tabletop games, especially when a lot of modern tabletop games have their inspiration or like their original source in like war reenactments and yeah and um certainly the uh um certainly you could say that like dd has its roots in wargaming um mm-hmm, like mm-hmm, very mm-hmm. strong roots in wargaming <laughs> yes um and those in and of itself if you look into the the sort of the history of of dnd and the history of tabletop role playing especially with sort of dave arneson's sort of I- I- impact on dnd um, as one of the the co-creators, right alongside mm-hmm. Gygax, he was super into war games and narrative, and yeah, many sort of historical war games are very much rooted in history and learning history, um, yeah, which I think is just so important and something that isn't in D and D anymore since it's kind of evolved into a fantasy role playing game. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing we always need to consider is that you know our the fantasy worlds that we craft, the science fiction worlds we craft are very much rooted in, well, the real world. 
Mm -hmm. Because Mm -hmm. everywhere Mm -hmm. you look, you know, when you look at, say, when you look at Star Wars, for instance, right? The characters of George Lucas's (laughs) world of Star Wars are very much inspired by Akira Kurosawa's films and the the samurai um, Mm -hmm. and, you know, Japanese religion. Um, Mm -hmm. If Mm -hmm. you look at things like Lord of the Rings, like Tolkien was not only... Um, deeply inspired by his experiences in the First World War, losing mm-hmm, all of his mm-hmm. friends and himself being wounded um, yeah. in the war, but but also you know inspired by you know medieval European cultures, uh, and we see these yeah. uh, in, in the world of Middle Earth. Mm-hmm. That is that that is that is very well said and very true. <laughs> <laughs> I I think the I think that the logical follow up question is um, how have in in writing the in writing the book of Inner Alchemy Adventure how did you kind of incorporate history and learning into the adventure aside from like stuff that we've already talked about like how like the reclaiming of uh, and <laughs> and removal of information from people who does not who do not deserve to have it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's a deserving is an interesting word, right? Because knowledge should be shared um, in mm-hmm. in many cases. Like there is certainly knowledge that um, is kept secret and for for mm-hmm. rightful reasons, right? Yeah. Um, but I think it's a matter of who has the agency to share that knowledge and who should be the one leading that charge. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's a that's a better it, point than what I was trying to in, make. In many cases, we see, you know knowledge being forcefully shared which mm-hmm. is which is in itself of itself problematic mm-hmm. um now for um can you, can you ask the question again sorry i got sidetracked <laughs> by by that thought uh, what kind of what kind of like information about history or like historical oh. kind of stuff were you wanting to impart with the adventure right so so for me it was the the idea of you know not just historical, but I really wanted to make sure that that people saw Asian characters with nuance. That was a big one. And I guess if you want to kind of bring in history, you know, the history in there is that there is a a very um, long history of Chinese characters being poorly represented in media, either as mm-hmm. villains or as sort of secondary characters with little sort of nuance. Yes. Um, and so I kind of wanted to, A, have villains who could also be heroes, but also mm-hmm. had complicated backstories. Uh, in, in terms mm-hmm. of, like, education, what I really wanted to do was recontextualize the D&D concept of Qi as it was inspired mm-hmm. by the real Chinese concept of Qi. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to demystify it, you know, give it mm-hmm. context in non-combat use mm-hmm. and kind of tie it more towards spirituality. Um, yeah. As it is more like mystical and magical, which is in and of itself not quite right. Yes, that I I am very glad because that is <laughs> that the the way that it has been handled is not uh, not great. But you know that. <laughs> yep, <laughs> and you know it's a it's a it's the first sort of step, right? Um, mm-hmm. I certainly hope that more people have the opportunity to do things like this in the future. Yes, ab- absolutely. Because I, I, I'm, I mean, I know that you can 
talk about this as well. I, I've seen a lot of very rightful criticism of tabletop gaming in general, not exclusively D&D, but, you know, kind of all kind of across the board of like making sure that things and aspects of gameplay are not are no longer appropriated, but are hand are handled respectfully with the with the original cultures and inspirations and like real world aspects that they're pulling from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. I agree. <laughs> yeah. Another question that I wrote down here, Daniel is uh, kind of going on a different kind of going on a different discussion track. Um, what is your favorite thing invention in the, in the book of inner alchemy itself? Like, because you mentioned there were like the gloves of soul oh, grabbing, yeah. soul catching, yeah, soul catching. Yes, what's your favorite one of those? Because I imagine there's probably more than one invention in that book. Oh yeah, I really, I, I will say, like, I love the gloves of soul catching. Um, mm-hmm. I think from like a player perspective, I mean, first of all, I think the gloves are. You know what? Maybe I'll frame this around the reception to it. Um, <laughs> there was a very interesting reception to the gloves of soul catching in in the game um a lot of people were like oh this thing is like way too powerful um it's like it's you know it's too much um too op gotta nerf it's it's too op gotta nerf it um because it is great It, it makes your constitution 20 and um when you hit with an unarmed strike you could actually steal um you you deal extra force damage but you also gain hp equal to that force damage so as a monk okay. if you got tons of attacks you could just hit somebody and just heal right and a lot yeah. of people were like oh this is really overpowered um and then some people were like oh a monk would love to have this um yeah and i really loved that debate because um, there were a lot of folks who were like, yes, like these are overpowered, but at the same time, uh, monks don't have a lot of really cool items in D&D, like the paladin yeah. has with the Holy Avenger, um, which mm-hmm. itself is also very good. But yeah. as I intended, and as some folks have pointed out as well, I'm just taking a look at the comments on it on D&D Beyond. While mm-hmm. this item is incredibly powerful, there's also a caveat. And in order to make it through the adventure itself, you have to sacrifice people to do it. And so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you have to really want this and have to do something that's, you know, objectively bad <laughs> to, yes. to actually obtain them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's why, you know, I really like it because it's not just like, it's not just an item. It's not just an invention. It, it's like a conversation about whether or not you should even do this. In yeah. the first place. And then that's making me think of, like, what would happen if, like, like to, in as far as the plot goes, if, like, the adventurers involved, like, decided not to create it? Like, it's like, no, this yeah, thing should well, not be created. Yeah, so then, you know, they get hired by the folks at Candlekeep to actually retrieve these pages. But when they learn this, and maybe they don't even kill Bakme, and they just, like... They find out the GM decides that hey, you know, Bach May just wants, just wants this knowledge back. Um, should it, should the players destroy the pages so that Ooh, nobody gets yeah. this knowledge? Um, yeah. And actually, um, a uh, 
someone that actually who follow who reached out to me on Twitter uh, was telling me that you know he they were running this with their group, uh-huh. um, and they found out about the true nature of the gloves. Some of, and then this person said um, some of them were didn't have any moral qualms of returning the pages, and others were like, oh. Maybe we want these pages, um, but then ultimately they returned them, which was cool because, like, yeah, I, I I want there to be a conversation at the table about um, whether you should actually have these items to begin with, um, mm-hmm. or whether these should exist, or mm-hmm. who this knowledge belongs to, and if the players are like we should destroy this, should they be the ones to do it, or should they return it to? the land where they belonged and oh yeah that was the goal there right to ensure that i could write an adventure that had something that the players could do afterwards mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's not just an open and shut case there's there's the potential for it to tie into sequels or if this is like a kind of one shot thing like for them to tie into a regular game Exactly. That's it. That's exactly it. Like it, it's open and shut in that. Yeah, you return the 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 pages, you're good to go. Um, mm-hmm. But it's also open ended in that. Yeah, you could. There are all of these um, possibilities. Um, yeah. That open up at the end. What would you do with the pages, Daniel? <laughs> I mean, personally, I I am not. As big of a fan of one shot adventures, I really like the slow burn of a camp mm-hmm. of like a long term campaign. Uh, mm-hmm. For me, I like the idea of trying to return the pages and having well betraying the library, and now the library is kind of going after you. Yeah, um, and uh, trying to like hunt you down. Yeah. Um, I also I've been talking to one of my players about this because he really wants um, his character to get the gloves, but he knows that these gloves aren't a good thing. Um, Mm -hmm. So he really wants to explore what could happen to his character when he gets the gloves, or if he gets the gloves, or if he maybe meets Bakmei and finds out about the power of the gloves. Okay, okay. And how, you know, this this could be um, Mm -hmm. a point of tension between the party. (laughs) I can respect that. I can respect someone saying, like, I'm interested in this not only for mechanical reasons, but also what it's how it's going to affect my character. Yeah, and it's going to have, uh, and it could turn into a really dark story. And, you know, my uh, my group, we, we talked a lot about, like, well, are we okay with our characters dying? Are we okay having tension and opposition within our group? And, and we all are. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... There are a lot of different things at play here. Yeah. And I think that's that's done much better if you're doing something long term. Yeah, that's true. Because then, then you don't have to necessarily, like, rush the choice. Like, it can be an ongoing dialogue, not just like, you know, like, hey, uh, <laughs> the GM has set a timer. <laughs> Clock's ticking. You got to decide now. Yeah, you got you to gotta do this. You, you, no, no turning back. Yeah. Um, I, I like the I like that it facilitates conversation at the table. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. Personally, I feel like that should happen all the time. Yeah. But I know that every, I <laughs> yes. know that everyone's play styles are different. 
Yeah, yeah. And and again, everyone's play styles are different and you know, having a more open-ended adventure maybe makes that a little bit easier to accommodate. Mhm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, did you have any other questions? Um what is what is the coolest thing in your opinion, that you have written into the Book of Inner Alchemy adventure? Or the coolest thing that you have, like, that you have, like, Bach May do? Oh. Coolest thing. I gotta say, I love the dialogue. Like, I, I yeah, won't spoil yeah. anything, but I, I love the dialogue because mm-hmm. I think it was, I think it's, I think it's cool that, um, it's something that I would have loved to have if I was playing this game because mm-hmm. dialogue is, you know, if with the, the sort of narrative themes at play there, they're very Asian um, mm-hmm. and they ev- are evocative of those, those classic movies. Um, yeah. But that said, you know, a lot of folks want to make sure that their dialogue isn't offensive. Mm-hmm. Um, and so having, uh, you know, dialogue written for them, I, I feel like yeah. provides the GM with a lot of value in making sure that they don't fall into stereotypes in how they role play as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, that's so, very yeah. true. <laughs> so, so I, I think that's that's the the, I, yeah, I think that's my answer to your mm-hmm. question. Do you have a favorite out of context one liner? You don't uh, have to provide context if it's a spoiler. <laughs> oh, out of context one liner. Um. Yeah, you know what? I really like um Okay, so there is Yeah, yeah, this isn't a spoiler or anything like that cuz you know you're going to have to you're going to have a confrontation with Bach May. Um mm-hmm. when you actually have your confrontation with Bach May, the uh the the line that I I wrote is um, like, like, do you really think that you could defeat my immortal lotus style? You're mere worms slithering through the mud on a rainy day, and I'm the bird here to feast. Uh, and then he kind of like, <laughs> I, and I put some description there, and then I said, and then he says like, I have no weakness, no flaw. Show me your so-called power. And then, um, yeah, and like, I, I wanted to uh, kind of make it feel like a movie. Yeah, that's good. But that that has that has very very good final boss energy. Yeah, exactly. Final boss energy super important. Mm-hmm. 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 Super important. <laughs> yes. So we we've kind of talked about this on and off, but do you have any recommendations for uh, martial arts movies that you were particularly inspired by, or that you think that the listeners should go watch? Oh. Yeah, okay. So obviously I think a big one is if if we're gonna go like classics to modern, I think Executioners from Shaolin is like mm-hmm. a really good starting point to kind of see how I wanted to portray Bachme um mm-hmm. in this one. Mm-hmm. Um in terms of uh like themes or something long term, um and something super accessible, I would recommend uh it's a Chinese show called Word of Honor. Okay. Um, it's like a wuxia TV series. Okay. Um, I highly recommend that because it kind of shows you like a long burn, a slow burn for a mm-hmm. um, for a potential follow up adventure or what you know these long term stories of redemption could look like. Okay. Okay. 
Yeah, that's that's yeah, that is my answer. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. That's good. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to make a note of so that I can go watch these yeah, myself later. Word of Honor is on uh, Netflix. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's on. There's a lot of there's a lot of uh, Chinese TV on Netflix actually. Okay, that's cool. I feel like I feel like I don't I don't consume enough non English language media. And I need to I need to change that so I can get more perspectives. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, there's there are there are a lot of like options out there for for folks, um, yeah. and you know like Netflix um, and things like uh, Tubi. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Are, uh, are are good sources of inspiration and also accessible sources. More yeah. Tubi more so than Netflix since it's free. Heck yeah. There's also a lot of Chinese TV and, and, and cinema on YouTube. Oh, okay. That is that is that is very good to hear. I, I, I support media being available widely. Yeah, yeah. And then of course less accessible but like Chinese animation. Um okay. is, is another thing that I would I would also recommend. Um if you wanted to get a sense of like cool like um sort of like the kind of action that inspire that is that kind of mirrors really well um mm-hmm. what i was going for there is a chinese animated series called fog hill of five elements um oh, okay that, that sounds familiar it, it was like made by like a small studio um it's you could find a lot of clips of the action scenes on youtube um i would check those out Thank you for your recommendations, Daniel. That is super oh, you're welcome. cool. <laughs> okay, I guess uh, the I guess then. Do you have anything that you want to talk about uh, with Bach May and uh, the members of his order that we haven't talked about already? Oh, I don't think so. I, I think I, I think I dove deep. <laughs> <laughs> Good. This is a podcast for diving deep. Yeah, I think I, I think I dove pretty deep into that one. Okay then. Hopefully, uh, this this is uh, this is a good question to end on. Then, um, so your last question for today is, why do you love them so much? Ooh, I I just I love them because <laughs> you know what, like, like I mean, I, I'm sure people say this all the time. Like, I love them because like I made them. They're they're mine. Um, <laughs> yeah, they're they're like they're my characters. Um, but no, I I love them because they represent a to me, uh, a future where um, we'll have more respectful sort of sort of fantasy interpretations of Asian cultures. Um, this mm-hmm. one is just the start. This is Chinese culture, right? But I would love to see yeah. a Japanese creator, you know, you know, write a Japanese story. Maybe one that isn't even inspired by samurai. Maybe one that's in the vein <laughs> of like Princess Mononoke. Yeah. Um, or I would love to see Korean stories because we're already seeing people talk about Korea a lot with like Squid Game or mm-hmm. cool like historical fantasy stuff like Kingdom on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I'd love to see a lot more Southeast Asian content. Um, yes. The Philippines has a ton of really cool monsters. Like oh, Tre- yeah. Like Tresse on Netflix um, kind of opened everyone's eyes to that. Um, mm-hmm. And like, uh, of course, then, you know, there is a lot of you know conversation about making characters inspired by south and like west asian or north african cultures 
um, right now. Um, mm-hmm. And so, like, I would love to see more creators of color, more Asian creators being given opportunities to tell their stories. So for me, like, the reason why I love these characters so much is because they kind of represent that opportunity being given to me. And I hope that opportunity gets extended to others. Very well said. And I hope so too. Yeah. <laughs> I hope that, I hope the wizards of the coast, uh, comes back and they're like, Hey, do you want to do a follow up adventure for us, please? I certainly hope so. I certainly <laughs> hope so. <laughs> May this not be the last adventure that you write for them. Yes. Let's, let's, let's hope so. Let's hope so. I've got many ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today, Daniel, to talk about all of your characters. I really appreciated hearing about them and about the setting, too. Hey, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. You're you're very welcome. Um, so this is the part of the podcast where you get to talk about uh, where you want to be found on the Internet, things you want to shout out and or promote. Yeah, so... Um... I mean, you could, if you're interested in learning more about Asian cultures and incorporating Asian themes into your games, um, you could check out uh, my podcast, Asians Represent. Um, we are the first ever Asian TTRPG podcast to ever win an any award for podcasting. Heck yeah. And actually Heck the, yeah. the first Asian Congratulations. podcast to win an any award twice <laughs> for podcasting. Yeah. Um, you could find... Uh, you could find basically everything I do, design work, Asians Represent, on my Twitter at Daniel mm-hmm. H. Kwan. That's... Daniel H K W A N. Um, mm-hmm. If you're interested in a lot of the stuff that I kind of work on independently, um, I have a little Patreon where I post that stuff. Uh, it's just Patreon.com/slash Daniel H Kwan. Um, or if you're interested in supporting the Asians Represent podcast and that mission, um, you just head to uh, Patreon.com/slash AZNS Represent. Nice. Okay, everyone. Time for current events blast. Uh, I've been kind of off the radar of a lot of stuff, <laughs> so I guess the uh, the current events blast is just going to be, um, please, everyone, I encourage you to take take a moment of your time between now and when, the, when you hear the next episode and do something to help others, whether that be contributing to your local bail fund or educating yourself on candidates for local elections because in the united states election season is coming up and i want everyone to be an informed voter um you also can donate to help uh to help uh underprivileged communities in your area like the unhoused community especially because in the northern hemisphere uh it's we're entering winter and things are going to get real rough um but also i encourage you to uh, educate yourself on something new that you need to learn about like in my case i'm gonna go do some reading based on uh what daniel recommended today but just please do do something to help those around you it doesn't have to be anything big it can be calling your representative which i know is pretty big (laughs) but just do do something to help do something to help others and now for the actual outro (laughs) The Home for Your OCs is a part of their Corner Podcast Network. It can be found through Acast and your local podcasting platform of choice. Our theme song is Viola by Poddington Bear, courtesy of the Free Music Archives. We can be reached at waywardocpod at gmail.com or through waywardocpod on Twitter. If you would like to talk about Wayward or the other Corner Podcast Network shows, 
uh, which are faithful, loser like me, and not a fire beat you first, we have our own Discord server. Uh, if you are interested in joining the server, there should be a perma invite available on our show Twitters, but if you can't find it, let us know and we'll get you that invitation. And I'm always looking for guests to talk about their original characters, so feel free to drop me a line if you are interested in being on the show. I do have a Google Forms thing th- uh, that is the pinch tweet on the Twitter, um, so if you want to talk about an OC in particular, you can, uh, you're welcome to fill that out. But if you want to talk about them with me first, uh, I just ask that you reach out to me through the Wayward social media. Uh, and as with all podcasts, it is super helpful if you can subscribe and rate us on your listening platform of choice and maybe even leave a review because that helps us to find a wider audience and to brighten more people's days. So thank you all for listening. This has been the Home for Wayward OCs and we hope you enjoyed your stay. I gotta find it. (laughs) As each day shrinks shorter and the nights grow colder, our souls prepare to darken along with the night sky. Four storytellers gather round the campfire. Each has a tale to tell. The counselors at Camp Marigold are trying to move on from the terrors of the previous summer. Will they escape from the clutches of the Lindworm? Three friends investigate a small town after their vehicle breaks down on their road trip. Will they survive its horrifying secret or succumb to devastation? A tale of mystical felines who watch over the children of the neighborhood. Will they be able to save them on All Hallows' Eve? When nightmares become indistinguishable from reality... Where do the real horrors lie? Fables around the table. Firelight premieres October 7th. Wherever you get your podcasts.